Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News podcast. My name is James Dixon, and a very good morning, afternoon, or evening to all of our podcast followers, whenever or wherever you are tuning into today's episode from. Uh, our podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d2isystems.com forward slash engage um welcome to everybody welcome to our guests today not one but two guests on today's podcast which is always exciting for us to have two people on the episode at once um we're welcoming uh, chris webb and adrian eaton chris is the co-founder and creative director of push adrian is the co-founder and technical director of push um and i suppose to be very very ignorant and sum it up in a very very brief sense of of things we're going to be talking about live streaming and our guests today deal with live streaming. Um, it's something that has been in the events industry now for several years. It's certainly become a little bit easier to do in simple formats in recent times. Um, more people are utilizing it at their events. But to, to tell us a little bit about their own uh, business, their own offering, um, let's come to you first of all, Chris. Tell us about Push, um, when and why it was founded. Hi, um, when and why? Um, we've been live streaming since, I think, AD might be able to correct me on this, I think 2009 to 2010. Right. And we built basically the um, live streaming platform for a, um, a company called Beat TV. And Beat TV basically film um, live festivals of big DJs mm -hmm. all around the world. Um, and from there, we basically had free reign on the technology side of how to play with um, live video. And, and from that, we've learned so much that we actually then decided that we'd build our own platform um, and push it out to as many people that want to use it as possible. There we go. So, so you're, when you were working for um, uh, before Push and before you created your own dedicated platform, was with the services that you were using to live stream in, in previous roles um, off the shelf services from other people? Were they also systems no. that you had designed? No, no. We built everything from the actual ground up. What we wanted to do wasn't actually possible with that sort of technology at the time. Right. So, AD being the technical genius that he is. <laughs> um, we both worked together and we, and we basically built a platform that would do what we wanted it to do for live video streaming. So this was, bef this was way before um, YouTube and um, Facebook started to go mental with it, basically. Um, sure. so, so yeah, we basically um, developed our own technology and we found all the pitfalls and all the ways that production companies work and how and and the problems that they face when they're doing live streaming and so mm -hmm. we've kind of built a product that basically has so much redundancy in place and yeah. and has a lot of um a lot of features basically that even today a lot of the live streaming tech doesn't have sure i, I suppose at, at that point 
great opportunity to, to, to bring you in, Adrian, um, from sure. the technical side of things. And um, just, just picking up on some of the things that Chris has said there, you know, redundancy and reliability. And um, uh, one, of, one of the, the, the questions that, that gets asked by event organisers whenever the live streaming question comes into the equation, uh, if you want to do it at serious quality and, and make it as best as it possibly can be, there is peripheral infrastructure and stuff that you have to then spend a lot of money on to make sure that you've got things like a great connection, you know, and, and even things like physical infrastructure to make sure that cameras are in the right place. So um, when you were looking at creating your own system, what were some of the key features that you needed to make sure were, uh, were built into it? Sure. So we're taking a look at two, um, uh, two different uh, realms, as it were. You've got the, the uh, low-end live streaming where you just take a feed directly from a venue and send that out to a, to a, a, a distribution partner like YouTube or Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then you have the traditional broadcast method of doing things, which is to uh, use big satellite trucks, uh, send that over via satellite to a central control room, and then from mm -hmm. that control room, send that to the various different channels you'd be sending out to. Um, and we're trying to take that um, advanced uh, broadcast industry sort of um, technology and see whether we can provide that to smaller enterprises that would that so you can get that reliability and that redundancy that you'd get from a from a large physical infrastructure um but on a on a cheaper basis and that's effectively what push provides people with it provides all those um uh ob ob style um it, that style of infrastructure for a centralized control room um, mm -hmm. and we provide that via the cloud so effectively all of our infrastructure is virtualized within amazon web services and then we right. effectively build uh controls and everything on top of that so via your web browser you can control uh content as it comes in you can control the quality of it uh, make sure that your audio and video is all in sync and mm -hmm. and all that kind of all that kind of all those kind of things that you do at a, at a control center, um, but without all that physical infrastructure, because we virtualize it and we make that, that infrastructure available to you via, via the web browser. Sure. And, and, and I guess when we, when, we use, when we use the term live streaming now, mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, big, you know, satellite broadcast trucks and things like that. Live streaming, in a sense, has been around for a long time because live television is in exactly. itself being live streamed. But with so many people watching TV now through the internet and through, you know, apps and stuff on a, on a device, I guess the lines between what is was classed as live streaming and what is live television are, are, are very blurred now. Exactly. So we're trying to provide we're trying to provide smaller. Uh, smaller um, uh, businesses, smaller events, and even uh, that wouldn't have the um, uh, the resources of, say, the BBC to sort of to get a huge infrastructure down to sort of create that event, uh, right. but provide those kind of tools that a, that a larger uh, a larger broadcast would have. Um, and so we provide those tools again via via Push, which is our the platform uh, that we then uh, push that content to YouTube and to Facebook. And, to the various different locations that you're you're wanting to send that that stream out to um, and in a way we also provide scheduling systems as well so if you have an event that takes place over 12 hours or so with various different speakers or even uh, so we come from a festival background so you've got different djs that play during the day mm -hmm. um, so those djs would want to perhaps stream just their own sets to their own pages um, and so we can we've got a scheduling system set up so that you can effectively um, take the stream into our system and then send out various different um, outputs, the various you know, the programs as we call them, various different programs, the different distributions that are needed. Um, and for example, uh, this weekend we've just come off the back of a huge weekend, 
uh, where we uh, were, were streaming a festival. Um, uh, there's a, basically a festival in, uh, in Holland, uh, but three stages over three days, 440 different uh, Facebook or YouTube um, distributions. And within those, we then also add additional branding on top. So you've got all the, the pre-rolls and post-rolls that go out. So rather than it simply being uh, a, a, a flat cut of a, here's the stream starts here and ends here, we can top and tail it with nice branding. That pushes people when, well, we're using push this too much, but um, it, it, it encourages viewers to then visit the main site. So that yeah. increases the audience that, uh, that effectively. Um, it's, it's really about making content that is relevant, available to audiences. Yeah. Um, the actual, the more traditional way that things are done is kind of, um, let me say haphazard is probably the word, but um, the fact that we can break these full length, six hour, 12 hour length live streams into individual programs, mm. um, it, it, it it, it, it makes basically the distribution of that event so much more simpler and more relevant to the audiences that it's going to. Yeah. Um, so it's not just going to a, a single endpoint of, let's say, the festival's page. It's going to the festival's page, the label's page, the label's YouTube channel, the DJ's Facebook page. The you know, it's it's going so many places. That's how we can get so many distributions from one single stream. Yeah, it's like one stream, but it went to like four hundred places. Sure, and and I guess most people's understanding in the events industry when you use the term live streaming will be of something that um, is very very singular in the sense where you may have a a fixed camera at front of house that's focusing on a stage. If we take a music mm -hmm. example, and if you happen to tune into that live stream at a point where the band is being switched over, you're pretty much just looking at a blank stage with nothing really happening and waiting for content to come around because all they've got the capacity to do is have one camera in a fixed position that's just on a, a continual live stream. This, this, as you're explaining it, is something that is far, far more sophisticated than that and is bringing that now very, very much closer towards, as you said, you know, professional outside broadcast yeah. where you can integrate advertising, you can cut to different stages, you can cut to different angles, you can vision mix, you can add ticker tapes, you can add sponsor logos, all of that sort of stuff around it that turns it into something that's far more polished. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, when, when this is being, being deployed, you know, obviously the, it, it sounds like something that as a concept will be relatively easy to explain to organizers when sure. you can when you can talk about the stuff that we've already spoken to on the podcast today um from an actual uh, a selling point of view how keen are you seeing um event organizers wanting to actually uh, embrace something that allows them to do live streaming in such in so much more of a sophisticated way it's the the problem we have at the moment is it a problem it's the way that we're approaching this is it becomes an educational piece that we've got to do with a lot of people because mm -hmm. the industry traditionally does it one way and we're coming in with a completely different angle and a completely different way to distribute and to basically um, produce those live streams. So, sure. um, I mean, we, we do a lot of stuff for Boiler Room and they just, they just jumped all over it. Mm -hmm. Because we've come from a, a festival background working with BAT TV and individual DJs and we've built the technology that kind of does what kind of push does for, 
slightly differently. Yeah. Um, uh, and the way that they would traditionally do it, I think AD would probably be going to how they used to do it. Um, when we came along with our product, they were like, oh my God, this is, this is next level. Thank you very much. This is, yeah. this is, this is what fits as completely perfectly. So the way that they do it now, I mean, they did the gorillas thing, um, on Saturday. Yeah. That was like, that was insane amount of views. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they do lots of, um, associations with brands like Ballantines and, um, all these other, um, sort of alcoholic drinks, cause they seem to like live streaming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead of just going to like the artist page and maybe the brand page and maybe the boiler room page, now it goes, we, it's, it's like 150 different places from one event. Um, What's quite funny is that you would think they did one, which was basically with um, an, a, a big artist called Moby. Yeah. Really heard of Moby. Um, that only went to a couple of places. And then they did a live stream with some DJs from Cameroon, which are pretty underground. And that went to like a hundred and odd places. And the views and the engagement on that was significant. We're talking like I think I think Moby was around about sort of five hundred thousand for the, mm. which, is, which in which today is not a lot in that in that space. Um, but they came in at like two point six million. <laughs> but, but when you compare that to when you compare that to actual TV viewing figures now, those sort of figures wouldn't be uncommon in it, when you're looking at TV viewing statistics now. Um, which is which is I suppose brings me back to, to to the point about you know where does live streaming end and live TV now begin? You know, to me, it's that there is so much of a blur, particularly when most of your TV content is coming down a digital connection now anyway, and you can pause and stop it and rewind it. Um, you know, it, it, that, that there is seemingly as, as you guys are, uh, uh, are delivering uh, a big gap in the market to actually you know bridge the br- bridge that gap together um one thing uh, just looking at, at boiler room um and on their their website adrian one of the first things that it says is that that their whole concept began with um a webcam taped to a wall uh, <laughs> a, 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 and you know and, and that was their first sort of raw foray into the idea of streaming one of their events um presumably now that the, the the level of infrastructure that you've got to put in to deliver what you're doing whilst you are bridging that gap there must still be a vast amount of actual kits that's got to go in to be able to deliver what you're doing yeah so they have their own their own setups that they use when they so they fly away, away with their own filming gear um mm-hmm. they do switching on site um and then they um they use some uh, units to send basically send their feed from that venue uh, through to our servers. Right. Um, and so that is, they use um, something called LiveView, which uses uh, self, uh, just um, standard mobile phone SIM cards, but they, they, uh, the unit itself has got about eight or 10 of these different cards in them. So it uses lots of different networks and it mm. distributes that, that feed over all those different networks. And that allows them to pretty much go to any country and use the same bit of kit from anywhere in the world. Right. Um, it's, just, it's just a matter of negotiating the, um, the mobile phone contracts of the different, um, the different um, uh, sure. countries they end up going to. But effectively, all that content then comes back to us in Europe. And then from here, uh, we can then take that one feed, effectively, and then add 
the different types of branding they need. We had all their lower third graphics on our side, so mm. um, so they're not having to do all that stuff on site. Um, and it means that all the, the transitioning from program to program, uh, as those lower thirds are always visible on their programs, they don't sort of have a 30 second lower third, which then disappears. Uh, mm. It stays for the entirety of the of the program. And so they use our, uh, the scheduling system within our platform to sort of to make sure that those transitions happen as soon as the um, as soon as the DJ moves from one to, one to the next. And sure. so that is also synchronized all the distributions that they can go up to Facebook. So you're not going to have a Facebook distribution incorrect graphic on the top saying this is with the wrong DJ name and that kind of stuff. Um, so all of that kind of stuff gets loaded in. And some of the stuff that you've been using recently is also using uh, the tools that we have to sort of improve their production values a little bit by providing intros into their into each of their uh, into each of the sets. So rather mm-hmm. than just being a flat a flat cut and then it starts on on YouTube, you've got a, a nice introduction. Yeah, as the set plays out, and then as it ends, you've got those sort of the boiler room logos. It's sort of as it as it as the set comes to an end, and so basically providing those um, a better production feel when 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 mm. for viewers when they're viewing it online um, and through Facebook as well. Um, most of the figures are from on demand, so once your event is has is over, normally they're sort of an hour, an hour and a half kind of programs. Um, then they sort of can promote those programs uh, to to viewers just using the normal sort of Facebook tools and that kind of stuff. So it's very much bringing a more a more polished um, output to to, exactly. to, to exactly. and, and improve, improving the production value overall. Well, on a technical point, um, when you mentioned about you know being able to all to do this via the cloud, um, on, on, in a simple case of vision mixing, if you've got you know a dozen different cameras and you're just wanting to, to you know to, to to mix different feeds in and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, do you guys have the capability to actually take multiple camera feeds down a line and do all the vision mixing and stuff you know remotely or or the client, like with Boiler Room, perhaps it sounds like they could actually do that on site themselves and send you a single feed, at which point you're just doing a certain amount of the polishing at your end. Exactly. So um, although that is uh, possible, uh, we generally use our features for switching between different stages, so let's say at a festival. Right. So, uh, you can use that to curate the content. So um, for instance, we did something with, uh, we did the Notting Hill Carnival with Boiler Room. And mm-hmm. so rather than showing all four stages continuously all the time on their YouTube, they'd cut between the different stages during the day. So you could tune into one broadcast and then switch and then they'd curate that content during that broadcast. Um, so we, we use that more for switching between larger locations and for actual um, uh, vision mixing between different cameras. Um, right. Mainly because when you're dealing with that, there is a lag between what you're seeing on your computer and what's actually happening in real time. Sure. And so as a result of that, if you're communicating with your cameraman over radio saying, I want this and I want that, it takes a bit of time for that, that kind of stuff to happen. And when you're doing that on site, um, it means that that communication is near instantaneous. Um, so so um, it's one of those things which uh, we are working on. Uh, we're working with a company that does um, uh, surfing events and that kind of stuff, and they use that option um so, so they have uh, cameras which literally will have um, a, a transmitter on the back of them to then send that, those feeds back to base and we're currently working with them uh, at the moment with how to utilize that and maybe improve those systems so although we don't have direct vision mixing at the moment it's something that um uh, we are looking at um there it's just it's just working around those um sure uh, those technical issues when it comes down to sort of the, the, the discrepancy between a real-time feed and a, a live feed, as it were, uh, which can Absolutely. be sometimes a few minutes behind what's actually real-time. 
and I'm sure everybody can, can can sort of put that into sort of some sort of context. You know, if you if you still put the radio on in your car mm-hmm. um, and it's just coming in via an FM, you know, uh, sure. an F- FM receiver, you know, it's it's totally live. You go into your house and you put your smart speaker on, you know, and, sure. you, and you start hearing the news that you were hearing three minutes ago, sat in your car. Exactly. Or watching the, watching the World Cup at the moment. I, I had exactly that on Saturday when I was doing the Adidas live stream. I was, <laughs> I, I've got a pub across the road and I was watching the, the World Cup on my TV and I heard this, yeah! And because they scored so many goals that day. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, all right, I, I was watching, I was going, oh, it's great, they've scored another one. Now I've got to wait a minute and a half. Now, my, my TV's going to now kick, uh, kick in and get, I'm going to see what the goal's like. So it's like, <laughs> oh, man. You've got to shut yourself away from everything. That, that does actually question what is live mm. at the moment. Um, we find a, a lot of the people that we work with, initially they were like, we want it to be as live as possible. Mm. And then they started using the software. And they were it, like, depends on, it depends yeah. on the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, if, the broadcast if you're wanting to interact with your viewers in real time, then you need that lag to be as low yeah, as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But if... if, um, if the requirement is, necess- is not necessarily there to have a direct interaction with viewers, then increasing that time um, forcibly mm. means you can then add additional um, things on top. So you could, you could perhaps time your events more. Um, so, for example, I'm going to go back to using the boiler room example, is when they transition from one DJ to the next, sometimes that cut point is, can be a little bit difficult to know. And so they, sure. use what, they use our time, uh, a time shifting feature within our platform where we'll store the content in. And so therefore they'll, they'll end up streaming that content out about five minutes after it's been received. I see. It gives them an opportunity to rewind the feed to choose a point at which they then move from one DJ to the next DJ. So they can allow their presenter to do their introduction then they can rewind, choose a precise point in time that they want that, that transition to happen. Yeah. That yeah. gets recorded into the system. And then when it then gets played out, they, all those transitions are perfectly timed. Um, and so it provides that kind of um, uh, ability there as well. And sometimes, of course, they'll, they'll be doing a stream from Australia, which will be at 4 a.m. for European audiences. And then yeah. they'll record that into the system. They'll stream that out to just the Asia-Pacific region and then um, restream the content because it's already then loaded into our system, rebroadcast that content at a, at a more appropriate time for European, European audiences, again, using geolocation targeting to basically restrict the audience to, to, to just the European uh, region. Um, sure. And so that means you can then sort of um, uh, make the most of, of, of when your audiences are awake and that kind of stuff as well. Um, sure. So we talk about live broadcasting rather than live streaming, mainly because you're choosing when to broadcast your content using the live platforms rather than simply live streaming, let's say with Twitch, where people are more used to sort of the, the bi-directional interaction that you have directly with your audiences. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so we're looking at these, these kind of things uh, and the tools that, say, broadcast users, you know, sort of you, you see mm-hmm. shows on the BBC that are recorded live, but they're not live, they are deferred live. Um, and we also have features for... Um, uh, for broadcasters in our system, by making use of those that time shifting capability, you can then uh, add additional layers. So, uh, for instance, you're a brand that doesn't want any swearing on stream, but then you're you're capturing yeah. an event that you don't know where that where that content is. You have that you can use that buffering period to say, okay, when we can uh, bleep out that swear word or something yeah. like that, all using all that kind of those tools in the cloud. Again, so we're talking about using, taking those broadcast technologies and then applying it to, 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 to those features, which you 
traditionally have to pay an absolute fortune for the hardware to be able to do. And that's kind yeah, of yeah, comes yeah. natively in the way that we, that we perform our stuff means that, okay, we can just add a, a filter here. So we just do a bleep for three seconds and that, that, that's, that's fixed kind of thing. Um, it comes relatively straightforward. Um, Chris, I know that a lot of the references um, so far, and clearly your guys' experience has been um, with festivals and in and in uh, the, the the music realm. But just identifying with the the key features and some of the stuff that you guys are talking about today, and what what your system is capable of doing. Clearly, there are wider event applications for this for this service, yeah, not I, just in the music yeah, realm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we. Do, I mean, obviously, we have a, a festival background, but there's no difference between a bunch of DJs playing at a festival or a bunch of speakers in a talk at an event. Yeah. It's, it's, exact, it's exactly the same thing. It's just, mm. just happens to be a, one happens to be music based and one happens to be um, a conversational piece. So in regards to the functionality, the functionality of it, it's, I think coming from a festival background and working with such complexities of, those remote places and the way that um, timing and schedules don't really go according to plan because we've built, built this thing to better like compensate and to um, overcome those problems. It it lends itself to really any type of scheduled live event. Yeah. And when you look at the, 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 the money and the budgets that are being spent in on big international conferences, trade shows, um, you know, you look at things like the pharmaceutical industry, the banking industry, you know, we're talking about brands that host multiple events in multiple countries, often at the same time, um, you know, straight away that there are, there are clear opportunities for them to add what you guys are offering which is 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 a bit of magic fairy dust to 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 really sort of polish it up and um, bring it up to a there's i mean our our our, our, um, concern has always been and our focus has always been on the audience and and presenting a broadcast or or whatever you want to call it a live stream broadcast webcast webinar Mm. is always to produce and have technology that can make that viewing experience as pleasant as possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw a live stream today on LinkedIn and it was, someone was like, well, we've, we've done a live stream. And I literally sat through, I think it was eight minutes of the live stream starting shortly. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a word from our sponsor. And then basically, and then it kicked in. I had to search on, on the, on the, uh, on demand on YouTube to try and find where the content was. And I was like, that's just, that's just not the way you do it. And that, that gives, that gives live streaming a bad rep at the end of the day. And I don't think it should be having, it shouldn't have a bad rep. It should be like, it should be seamless and it should be, it should be quality and it should be approached in a way from what I'm used to and what aid is used to. And probably yourself from watching television for so many years as a, as a kid. Yeah, it's all polished, and like what what I what I'm not too keen on with live streaming is, is this. It's almost like an afterthought, or a, oh, here's a quick window into something that's happening now, where mm. where where it can be so much more than that. It can be this. It can be a show, and we, we approach things as being shows or episodes and professional produced stuff. I mean, we talk about boiler room, and I mean their production like a lot of the, the, the um, dance music sort of stuff, it's, 
it's pretty it's pretty lo-fi yeah but we've got we've got the we've got the bits of tools within the software to be able to repackage that and just to make it a little bit more like mm, this is nice you know this 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 feels good and this looks polished yeah so um and, so, and yeah. i think i i think when i you know start to develop an understanding of what you guys are doing just in, in, in today's podcast and, and talking to you for, for 25 minutes or so. There's that feeling sometimes with the live stream that things are very, very static, you know, that things are very, very fixed. And that is the image that you will see for the next 30 minutes or one hour and that, and you will have nothing else. But when you watch and you compare that to professionally produced live television, there is always that feeling of movement. Um, yeah. w- w- when you are watching, there's that feeling that you're not just sat in one fixed position. And I suppose if I'm right in understanding everything that you guys have said, that to me strikes me as one of the biggest differences is taking away that feeling of being absolutely fixed and locked down and nailed into position to something that actually brings a little bit more movement and, and life to, the, to, to what you're watching. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that can be done in the production on the ground. So if you do have just a fixed camera at the back of a room, um, there's not much we can do to sort of to change that kind of feel. We can certainly top and tail it. We can provide graphical information that's pretty easy to add uh, on the stream. But the thing with most of those things, um, the, the, the one thing that makes the biggest difference is by having a manned cameraman. Mm. Um, so someone that can basically zoom into a speaker, zoom out to, the, to get an overview, even if that's still just one camera, but that one camera is manned by a camera operator makes all the difference um and and it just makes that uh you know in and, and then it then moves on so sort of, okay if you've got maybe not just the one camera but maybe two cameras and then you've got a bit more opportunity because then you can have go from a an interview situation where one person's speaking then you can cut to the other person for their reply uh, and then while that's happening the other camera can be repositioning so there's a lot of things that you can do on the production on the ground which don't actually cost that much more uh from that perspective um and so once we, you know, once you get all the technical um elements of getting that stream out um then the actual then the actual content production itself is pretty um, a pretty um, known quantity um, mm. with regards to sort of improving that. And so you talk about with camera movements. I mean, yes. I mean, certainly uh, you look at the sort of festivals and that kind of stuff that we've been doing, and they use a lot of uh, jibs, which are effectively ca- yeah. uh, cameras on cranes. So you get those nice sweeping shots of of uh, the camera going over the crowds and that kind of stuff. Um, and again, it provides all that movement in camera. Um, again, they, I mean, that comes down still to the production on the ground. I mean, we're not sort of uh, moving away from that. Um, you're still going to need that kind of uh, that kind of thing um, to sort of uh, to really sort of make that production um, sing, if you will. But um, yeah, yeah. It, but then we can also then um, take away a lot of the, the the need of having to do a lot of the effect of what you'd normally see in a post production sense, like all the graphics and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they can be applied nice and easily to sort of to help um, create that that production as it goes out to viewers. So. And um, I say we've got a lot of things in 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 the uh, in the system that provides tools to people. For instance, um, audio fingerprinting, which is a fingerprinting technology to identify music tracks that are playing. So if you're yeah. needing to do copyright reports and that kind of stuff, as as uh, to send that those back to broadcasters or to to the rights managers and that kind of stuff, then we have all those kind of tools in the system as well. So you're not having to manually write down tracks that people are playing and that kind of stuff. You can just download a report afterwards. Uh, amazing um I, I was going to ask from a from a delivery point of view chris when you when you're actually working on a physical event um what's the what's the manpower requirement like for for, for, for no. you guys really 
it's the, the, the way that we deal with distribution is very unique. So basically you would set up your event. Mm-hmm. You would s- schedule the times of um, the episode or the program. Let's go back to the festival things. It's nice and easy for me to understand. So let's yeah. say you've got a festival and you've got, um, you've got six DJs. So you set that up in, in the system. You don't even need to be live streamed at that point. Right. We then just send a link to all the publishers that would like to live stream that event. And then that link that they, that, that, that they get, they can say, I want to stream that DJ to my YouTube channel, my other Facebook page, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can pick and choose what they want or they can stream the entire thing. And that's it. I just send a link. <laughs> And then, and then they do the rest. And then when it goes live, it automatically goes live for over all their channels. One other thing that I'm, I'm really, as we, as we sort of rattling through today's episode, I'm conscious of time, but um, one thing I wanted to ask you from an artist uptake point of view, when you're working with music festivals where you've got, you know, numerous artists who are coming to perform, I, I would guess that if I was an organiser speaking to the artists ahead of these events that what you guys are now delivering for your clients is clearly a big seller as well for the artists to be able to turn around to them and say look you tell us what your social media platforms are and we can actually put live streams to wherever you want us to go to aid your own promotion artists and managers love it yeah they absolutely love it and they also use it as well i mean the festival did at the weekend that they were using um individual streams to go to the artist managers pages not pages like publicly viewed but so mm-hmm. that they could actually see it and go you know what yeah i'm i'm cool for my artist to to stream because otherwise they could turn around and say you know what he's not get him off yeah but but th- this way they're like they have complete control over what's going out for their artists so that it, it works works in so many amazing ways for these guys and they're just like oh my god this is fantastic we did stuff at Creamfields and they were like, they had some of the big DJs and they were like, no, we're not streaming. And then as soon as they saw what was going out, yeah, they were like, yeah, we'll have that on our page. And, and then they use our, like, our, our push links and we're like, yep, bang, so there you go. And it was on there. Of course, they can set that up from their mobile phone at the festival. So they, they, we've, we've had artists that are, or DJ managers that have basically um, held back on doing a live stream. And so mm-hmm. like then 10 minutes into the set, they then set the live stream up on their phone and immediately we start sending them to their Facebook page. But then let's say they only wanted to stream 20 minutes of their set. So 20 minutes later, they then remove the distribution using their phone again and then the, the distribution ends. Um, so they, they can be in control of, um, you know, if they, were, they, want, they only want a 20 minute part of their one hour set to be streamed, then they are in control of that. Um, and again, we can then, provide those tools to the actual um, events themselves that maybe then remove those options. But um, I think most of the time the having those options available are, are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the festival we did last weekend, the, their strategy was fantastic. So basically they did four live streams every Friday on the build up to the event. Then right. they did the three stages, 70 plus DJs, 300 distributions, stream that out live, had it on demand until today. And then today they were like, can all those distributions be taken off their social pages? Because we're now going to re-edit everything and do a new promotion Mm. for the festival in another week's time. So basically today we got rid of, I think it was 300 and odd 
Because what you've got to understand with, with live streaming is it's, it's like a 48-hour window of engagement, and then it dies off really sure. pretty quickly because content these days is so fleeting. Um, so it's not actually a problem. So you've got the live views, which are usually quite high, and then you've got the, on, the 24 hours later, or maybe 48 hours later, which is obviously ramps that right up. Um, so doing it a couple of days later and, and removing those posts is actually quite a good s s strategy, really. Then yeah, I mean, there's also audio rights that, they, that need to be considered as well. Um, that's the thing. So um, I think there are some rights restrictions and some stuff like, for instance, the Gorillaz album that was, they did the launch party at the weekend. The album hasn't released yet and it releases on Friday. So, uh, so the, that stream was up for 24 hours to basically to, to build that engagement because you do a live stream, not everyone in the world is awake. So you leave it up for 24 hours to 48 hours and then it gives people the opportunity to do that content and then it can get taken down afterwards. Um, and then promotional stuff additional promotional stuff then goes on after that as well so yeah of course um, I think, uh, yeah. go on go on chris as i was going to say i think labels as record labels are, are kind of getting into this i mean we did the gorillas one we didn't do the nas one but nas did it with kanye west as well the the, the week before which is basically live streamed the premiere of the actual album have mm. it up a couple of days then get rid yeah it's just it's it, what I, I enjoy about that is that it's kind of giving music and, and album releases kind of, a, kind of a thing now. Whereas before it was like, you just stick it on, the, on your YouTube channel and then you get a bunch mm -hmm. of bloggers to talk about it, to link to it. Whereas now it's kind of like supercharges it. It's like, right, there's a live event happening. It's the new album. You're, you're, all, you're all fans. It's going out everywhere. Everyone jump on it. Have a listen. We take it away. We build demand we do our next thing. And I think, that, I think that's quite a clever, clever thing to do, really. It is. Guys, we're, um, we're coming to the end of time and we are going to have to wrap it up. But the good thing about Perfect. wrapping up an episode where I've still got a load of things to ask is that that potentially means that the people listening and watching the podcast have got a load of things to ask as well, which is, which is a good thing. Tell us um, how we get in touch with you. If anybody watching today's podcast wants to, wants to reach out to you guys pushlive.com oh no push.com that's so uh -huh. push yeah. um, live <laughs> push push live and or our linkedin on chris webb on linkedin aid is actually not on linkedin oh, yeah. hey hey somebody's <laughs> somebody needs AD to might have a myspace <laughs> account or something <laughs> fantastic yeah push push.live is is where to go and i'm sure uh people who are listening and watching today's episode have um have got questions and stuff that maybe has intrigued them stuff that they want to find out more about get in touch with the guys i'm sure they'd be delighted to hear from anybody working in the industry who thinks actually this sounds really intriguing. This sounds interesting. Where can I take live streaming to the next step? Because I've been doing it at events and I want to maybe do it just that little bit better. And uh, it sounds like you guys have, uh, have got the means to do that. So thank you very much for joining the podcast Pleasure. today. Um, the, the podcast itself is brought to you by our own sponsor, Engage, powered by D2I Systems, winner of Best Event Management Platform at the 2017 Event Technology Awards. To learn how Engage can make your business more profitable, visit d 2 Systems.com 
forward slash engage. You can also head over to eventindustrynews.com and keep up to date with all the latest content features and these podcasts that go out via Event Industry News. Find us on all of the usual social media networks. Just search for Event News Blog or Event Industry News and you will stumble across us in just a matter of moments. I'm sure you will. Um, Thanks very much for listening today. Thanks again to our guests, Chris Webb and Adrian Eaton from Push. Uh, Been talking to us today about live streaming. Great subject and uh, no doubt something we're going to be talking about again in future as we keep an eye on what these guys are up to. Thanks again and we'll see you on the next episode of the podcast. Goodbye. Thank you.